Hello and welcome to Holmes, Borden, and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. Watson and John Morse are in a lightweight carriage known as a gig. It's a two-wheel carriage built for speed. They are flying down the road, down the peninsula, Gardner's Neck Road in Swansea. They're headed for the Lower Farm, which was the vacation home for the Borden family. It's about five miles from the Borden house in Fall River. They've gone over their plans, their tentative plans. They have a basic outline. Watson is satisfied that Morse is up to speed, that he understands what they are going to do. And for the last 15 minutes or so of the drive, Watson is left to his own thoughts, which he would rather not be thinking. Watson is living in his own head, and it's not a safe neighborhood. His biggest fear is that Sherlock's already dead, and he has played a couple of scenarios in his mind. From what Morse has told him, there's a hedge that runs parallel to the road and partly screens the front of this house, this house which is a cape about 100 years old that Mr. Borden bought around 1870. Watson's first fear, what he pictures, is that Moriarty has gotten to the property ahead of Holmes and Emma that he has had enough time to hide his carriage and his horse, either in the barn or somewhere down the road, that he has stationed himself behind the hedge with a shotgun or a rifle, and that when Sherlock pulls in and jumps down from his buggy, Moriarty will be there to kill him, and that Sherlock is lying dead on the lawn in front of this house. That is obviously one of Watson's biggest fears. Along the same lines, he can picture Moriarty waiting inside the house, Holmes and Emma going in, Holmes unsuspecting, Emma knowing that Moriarty is in there, and that Emma's carrying a lantern or a lamp, giving Moriarty enough light so that when they enter the house, Moriarty can step out from behind the door or from around another wall, around the corner, and kill Holmes that way. Another unappealing thought that has been plaguing Watson is that Moriarty claps a gun to Sherlock's head, forces him to the ground, ties him up, and then proceeds to torture him, pistol whips him, and does all kinds of terrible things to him in an attempt to find out what Sherlock's been doing. How long has he been in America? How long has he been on Moriarty's trail? Who else is with him? Who else knows about this? What does the British government know? What does Scotland Yard know? And then satisfying himself that he's gotten as much as he's going to from Sherlock, that Sherlock's not going to give him any more information, he proceeds to kill him. Even the possibility that Sherlock is safe, that he's at the farm, that he's looking for the letters, and that Moriarty is not there, although it's a lot more appealing to Watson than the prospect of Sherlock being dead, it's still terrifying to him because if he shows up, goes into the house and says, Sherlock, are you safe? He's likely to be met with a big helping of scorn. He'll be humiliated in front of Morse and Emma, and it will reinforce Sherlock's opinion of him, which is that he is a clumsy liability. And yet he feels compelled to go. He's been conditioned over the years to doubt himself. He's been trained like one of Pavlov's dogs. When the bell rings, the dog salivates. When Holmes has gone off to do something and Watson thinks that it's a mistake or tries to guess what Holmes is up to, he invariably feels ashamed at the very thought that Holmes might be wrong and he might be right. 
And if the official records are to be believed, I don't think there's a single case in more than 1,300 pages of Sherlock ever being wrong about something important and Watson being correct about that same issue. I don't believe there's a single time where this has happened. If that's true, then you can understand why Watson would be questioning himself, why he would be saying to himself, why would you ever doubt Sherlock? When have you ever been right and him been wrong? It's never happened. And finally, he's worried that he might actually and unintentionally be leading Moriarty to Sherlock. What if Sherlock had managed to get down to the lower farm without Moriarty knowing it, but Moriarty tails Watson and Morse and kills them all? That's not likely, but given Watson's track record, it's possible. Watson doesn't know. He has no idea what's going to happen here, and he feels very anxious. As they approach the farm, Morse pulls over into a field. They're about 100 yards short of the farm. They don't want to pull in and and alarm or alert anybody who might be there. They're going to approach on foot. Morse is familiar with the grounds, the acreage around the farm, because Mr. Borden owns it all. So he pulls over, he gets out of the vehicle, he opens a wooden gate, it swings back, and he leads the horse and the buggy into a pasture. He ties the horse up to the fence on the inside, and then he and Watson head for the house. This ran against Morse's nature. He had been a farmer, as you know, for many years, and he had made quite a good living out of buying and selling horses. And to treat a horse this way, to exercise it hard for the better part of a day, and then leave it without water, without allowing it to cool down, without paying any attention to it, was a really bad idea. And he actually tried to convince Watson to wait a few minutes while he unhitched the horse, led it to a trough, made sure it was okay. As you can imagine, that didn't go anywhere. They run up to the house and the plan is to, first of all, find out whether anybody's there. And they can see as they approach, they come up the driveway, they see that there's a horse and buggy there, that the horse is tied to a hitching post. And Morse confirms that this is the horse and buggy that he had rented the day before. They stay in the shadows and they have to stay to the right of the house, circle around a small barn and come back in the dark, in the shadows, and take a good look at the house from the backside. The house is built in such a way that there are bedrooms on the second floor. The house is a cape. It's an old-fashioned cape. There are a couple of second-floor bedrooms and they have dormer windows, but those windows face away from the road. The kitchen is in the back of the house. They don't see any lights in the front, but as they come around, they see a light in the kitchen and they see a light in one of the second floor bedroom windows. They can tell that Emma is in the kitchen. They can see her. She's near the stove and the stove has been lit. They can smell the smoke. They look up to the second floor and they see a silhouette or a shadow, one or the other, of somebody up there moving around. They've already agreed what is going to happen in this scenario, so... Watson leaves Morse in the shadows watching Emma, and he circles back around the way they came, running as fast as he can. And as he approaches the front of the house, he pulls out his pistol. He doesn't need to cock it. It's a double-action revolver, so all you need to do is pull the trigger. You don't need to cock the hammer. He's got the pistol in his right hand. He opens the front door, which Morse told him would almost certainly be unlocked. 
and he knows where the stairs are, straight ahead, running up the right-hand side of the entryway wall. There's no sound from the house. There are doors closed between the front hall and the kitchen. Emma's not making any noise. Nobody's making noise upstairs. He starts up the stairs, which are carpeted, and he takes his time, leaning against the wall. But he doesn't want to take too long because he doesn't know whether Sherlock's still alive. So he goes up as fast as he can while at the same time trying to stay quiet. He gets up near the top and a voice from inside the bedroom calls out, Are you done? Have you finished? Something like that. It's not Sherlock's voice. And Watson assumes correctly that whoever's asking him that is Moriarty and that Moriarty thinks that it is Emma coming upstairs. So Watson hurries up and goes to the entryway of the bedroom and looks in. And you can take in a lot in a quick glance. You can, within a couple seconds, you can see an awful lot. And so here's what Watson observed going from left to right. There's a twin bed in the corner and lying on it wearing some kind of bizarre mask is Sherlock. And Watson, being a doctor, recognizes that this is a anesthesia mask used for chloroform. There's a bottle of chloroform and some kind of screen with cloth on it over the front of the mask, and Sherlock's obviously out cold. There are handcuffs on the bed. They've been opened up and tossed to the foot of the bed. Sherlock's lying awkwardly on the bed on his back with this mask on his face. His left foot is on the floor. His right leg and foot are partly off the bed. He's lying at an angle on the bed, and the sleeve of his left arm is rolled up. Moriarty has tied some rubber tubing around his bicep, and the veins of his left forearm are standing out. Moriarty, and that's surely who it is, it must be, solidly built man, about 40 years old, with brown hair and a mustache, turns and looks, and there is Watson standing in the door, pointing a revolver at him. For a second, at most, Watson would say, he registers a look of surprise, maybe even alarm, on Moriarty's face, and then Moriarty recovers almost instantly. In his right hand, he's holding a syringe that's full of some type of medication. And in his left is a bottle, which he's just about to place on the windowsill. And he goes ahead and finishes that, never taking his eyes off Watson. And neither of them speaks for a few seconds. And then Moriarty says, Dr. Watson, I didn't think I'd see you here tonight. Watson comes in slowly and gets between Moriarty and Holmes. He tells Moriarty to back up, slide the chair back, don't get up, just slide the chair back, stay in it put the syringe down, put it down on the windowsill. Moriarty does as he's instructed. Down goes the syringe, back goes the chair slowly. Watson tells him to keep his hands on his head, fingers laced together. And with one eye on Moriarty and the other glancing very quickly towards Sherlock, he yanks off the mask and tosses it aside. And then Moriarty starts talking, which is somewhat incongruous if you think about it, because Watson's the one who's in control, or should be in control. But Moriarty, it's in his nature, I guess. It's just who he is. He has to be in charge of whatever situation he's in. And he starts to say to Watson things along the lines of, you're not going to kill me. That would be cold-blooded. I'm not armed. Don't even think about it. I don't know what you're planning to do, doctor, but I don't think you have it in you to kill me. It's not who you are. 
and he goes through this argument about why he shouldn't be killed, why Watson shouldn't do this to him. Essentially, what he says is, first of all, it would be something you would regret for the rest of your life. You don't need to kill me. That's number one. Number two, I'm not going into custody voluntarily, so I'm not going to give you that option. Since you don't have the guts or the cold-blooded nature that would allow you to kill me, and since I'm not going to let you put me in handcuffs, you're going to have to let me go. And on top of that, if you do kill me, if you actually are seriously thinking about killing me, you're going to have to kill Emma too. Now, if Watson was in control of the situation, which he should have been since he was the one with the pistol, he would have told Moriarty to shut up and he would have shut him up one way or the other. But he can feel Moriarty has already wrested control of this conversation away from him and he feels like the incredible shrinking man. Moriarty is the one who's dictating the conversation, who's dictating the terms. He goes on to say, I know Emma. I know what she wants. I know what she's afraid of. I know what she thinks. I know her history. And you're going to have to kill her if you kill me. And you won't be able to get away with that. You might, in theory, be able to get away with killing me if Emma wasn't involved, but she won't let you do that. She'll take vengeance on you. And if you kill us, how are you going to explain it? How are you going to cover it up? What are you going to tell people? Because the police, as bad as they are, as incompetent as they are, are going to look into this. They'll look into Emma's disappearance. They'll be able to interview the housekeeper. She'll confirm that Sherlock went somewhere with Emma and that he was the last person seen with her alive. You're not going to get away with this. You can't prove anything against me. You think I'm the Ripper. You think I committed those murders, but you have absolutely no proof. You have no written proof. You have no eyewitness evidence. You don't have a confession. If you kill me and get caught, what are you going to say? Self-defense? I'm not armed. And who's going to believe you? You're going to claim to be British agents, British police? You're not. You're carrying forged passports. The British government will abandon you. They'll leave you to your fate. It's going to be disgrace. It'll be prison. And you may get hanged. There's an easy solution. Let me and Emma go. I'll leave the country. Emma can go back to living on 2nd Street. You go back to England. Let the case happen. Let the trial happen. I'll stay out of it. You stay out of it. We'll just call this a draw. Watson really feels like the incredible shrinking man. He's being swallowed by this evil force, by this overwhelming personality. And all his resolve is just draining away. He feels naked and exposed, and he thinks that Moriarty can see right through him and see his lack of resolution, his insecurities. Most of what Moriarty is saying is true. He doesn't want to kill someone who's unarmed. He doesn't know how he would subdue Moriarty anyway. Moriarty's probably stronger and He'd certainly be Watson's match, if not his superior physically. So he doesn't see how he'll do it. If he orders Moriarty to get down on the floor and put his hands behind his back, Moriarty's going to refuse. Then what will he do? Moriarty starts to get up. He starts to rise from the seat. He's in shirt sleeves. He's got his suit coat over the back of the chair. He starts to get up. Watson tells him to sit. Moriarty continues to rise. He's saying the same things. You're not going to shoot me. I'm going to walk out. Feel free to come with me. 
bring the lantern. I won't do anything. You can walk me and Emma down to the buggy. We'll drive off. You can be assured that we're gone. He's now standing and he reaches behind him for his suit coat. He's already said he's unarmed. Now there's a pistol behind him on the bureau and it's not within easy reach, but if he had to, he could turn and try to grab it. That wouldn't be smart since Watson has a gun trained on him. He's insisted that he's unarmed. I don't have a pistol. I'm not armed. As he pulls his suit coat up from the back of the chair, there's a clunk, the kind of clunk you hear when something heavy bangs against a piece of furniture. And Watson, for a split second, in a split second, Watson looks and sees there's a bulge in the inside pocket of that suit jacket. And there's something black inside it, something substantial. Watson knows what it is. And his eyes meet Moriarty's for a second. There's something he can't quite describe when he thinks back on it later. He can't quite describe what he sees. It's as if Moriarty is, on the one hand, suddenly vulnerable, but on the other hand, arrogant. And maybe it was those two emotions in quick succession reflected in Moriarty's eyes. But it was just then, it was that second, it was that glance, it was something about the combination of those circumstances. Knowing that Moriarty had a gun in his suit coat. Knowing that he really had no choice. Knowing that he couldn't let Moriarty go. That his life would be in danger, Sherlock's would be in danger. That Sherlock would never forgive him. He pulls the trigger. It's hard to remember exactly, looking back on it, exactly how the next few seconds transpired, what happened in the next few seconds. There was obviously a loud bang from the gun. There was some gray smoke, acrid smoke. Moriarty was on the ground. How he fell, Watson doesn't remember whether he crumpled or just toppled over, but he's on the ground and he's bleeding from the stomach. It's a stomach wound. Watson can see. He walks over. He's still got the gun pointed at Moriarty. Moriarty's conscious. His eyes are open. He's trying to say something. His lips are working. Watson doesn't know what to do at that moment. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, to say he doesn't know what to do, or he's paralyzed, or he's almost in shock himself that he's done this. There's something terrifying about it. There's something horrifying about it. As as evil as this man is, as awful as he is, it feels like some great weight has landed on his shoulders. There's the sound of footsteps coming up the stairs. Somebody's running and Emma is at the doorway. She sees Watson holding the gun, standing over Moriarty. He's lying on a a rug, a, a hooked rug. She comes in the two or three steps and drops to her knees. She takes his left hand in both of her hands and she holds them. She clasps them. And she begins to rock on her haunches silently. Moriarty is, it looks like he's about to lose consciousness. His eyelids are fluttering. And without looking at Watson, Emma says in a quiet voice, can't you do something for him? 
Can you do something to end his suffering? Can you help him? Watson hears himself say, a stomach wound is fatal. I can't, he's going to die. I can't save him. There's nothing I can do. And then he thinks of the syringe that Moriarty was holding when he arrived, when he stood in the doorway. Turns and he gets it from the windowsill. He looks down at the bottle, picks it up quickly off the floor. It's morphine. Drops to one knee, puts the gun down by his right leg, away from Emma, finds the exterior jugular vein, and injects the full dose into Moriarty's neck. He's barely finished when Morse comes up the stairs and stands in the doorway. Morse keeps repeating, Oh my God, what happened? What's going on? What does this mean? To top everything else off, Sherlock's waking up. His eyes are opening and closing. He's making some noises. He's stirring. If this was 2021, Watson would say he felt like he was juggling chainsaws. He hasn't had time to think. He doesn't know what to do here. He's, he's got to figure it out. He takes the pistol out of Moriarty's dress coat, and then he grabs the other pistol off the bureau, which he recognizes is Sherlock's. He turns, and standing by the bed, he opens the guns up one after the other and removes all the, the bullets, the rounds, from the cylinders, puts them in his pocket. Then he takes those two revolvers and drops them into Moriarty's open medical bag. He also drops the syringe into it, the morphine bottle as well. And then he tells Morse, if we're going to get out of this, if we're going to cover this up and escape prosecution, then I need your help. You've got to do what I tell you. And I need you to look at me and give me a yes. Tell me you're going to help me. Because if you're not, if you're going to stand there and act stupid and gibber away, I'm going to take my friend, we're going to leave you here, and you can deal with this. So you need to snap out of it, and you need to do what I tell you to do, and I need you to confirm that right now for me. I need you to look at me and say, yes, I'm able to do what you tell me. I will follow your instructions. And it works. Morse kind of focuses his eyes and looks at Watson and gives him a confirmation, a nod or or a yes. And so we'll leave off here. We'll talk about uh, what happens next in the next episode. I hope you join me for that. I look forward to it. And until then, take care.